Today is our third week in a series of messages about the life of Jesus asking, who is this man? And uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus displayed himself in many different ways and defined himself in, in many different names. First week we were looking at this, we looked at the fact that he, he, the scriptures called him and he referred to himself that way, uh, the son of man. And we saw that that uh, talked to us about the humanity of Christ, that he came fully human at the same time fully God. And being human, he could identify with us and uh, meet our needs. And so in him, in a relationship with him, as we come to him as the son of man, uh, we find acceptance. We don't always find that everywhere, but we find acceptance, we find forgiveness of sins, and we find wholeness in life. Last week we saw that Jesus uh, was defined as being a friend of sinners. And that that was uh, certainly um, a great name for him because uh, he came for us as sinners. Uh, I think in and his great statement that he said, he said that, you know, that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I think that's a kind of microcosm of his, of his life's purpose in his mission statement. And so it's no surprise that he was called the friends of sinners because those are the people that he hung out with because they were the ones who needed to hear the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ that he offered. And we saw in that situation then that, that Jesus calls the unlikely, the undesirable, and those who are spiritually unhealthy. And today, this third week, we're going to look at Jesus as being the anointed one. And uh, that comes out of a passage of Isaiah that we'll look at later on in the context of our Scripture. Uh, and when we understand the significance of this description of Jesus and the one that He accepts as being the anointed one, at the same time we will also discover that Jesus challenges us with a mission and a purpose in life. And so we've been looking at these titles that Jesus was known by uh, because it fits with that theme of Bible school this week about uh, discover who Jesus is, then decide about Jesus if you're going to make a decision for Him, and then learn how to defend your faith in that mode of apologetics. And so we've been looking at that as we've been looking at, at His names and the, and the concept about Him. And, I, I, you know, we talk about a meaning and purpose in life. Jesus had one. And it was, a, it was a significant meaning and purpose and, and mission statement that, that he brought into this world. And we're going to talk about the fact that that relates to us as well. And we need to hear that today because oftentimes we wonder, you know, what, what is significant about my life? Is it just about making a living, doing the same thing and the same routine every day, doing the same thing? And, and where do I find meaning and purpose in life if that's all I'm going to be doing? And we often realize that sometimes life just passes us by. You might think about a minute, you know, the, the second hand on a clock moving around in one complete circular motion. What happens in a minute? How significant can a minute be to our time? Well, I found some interesting statistics, at least I thought they were, that what happens in a minute around the world. In one minute around the world, 25 Americans will get a passport. They evidently plan on going somewhere. 58 airplanes, that's where they are, on 58 airplanes taking off around the world. There are 116 people every minute who will get married. 144 people every minute will move into a new home. 11,319 packages will be delivered by UPS. Now some of you all are definitely involved in this number. Every minute, 243 photos are uploaded to Facebook. Exactly right. Now this is incredible, I think. Every minute... Over 5,441,000 pounds of garbage is created around the world. Isn't that absolutely amazing that we have that much of garbage and that stuff that accumulates? Now, what about in our lives? 
Well, 7,150,000,000 human hearts will beat in one minute 500,500,000,000 times. And that's according to the American Heart Association. And in that process, our bodies will create 858,282,240,000,000,000 new red blood cells. Now, if you think a minute is significant, think of insignificant, think about all those things that take place, especially in your life, as your heart beats and you produce those red blood cells, necessary for life. Well, how do we tie that in with where we are? I think it ties in this way, and that is simply life happens quickly, and time flies very, very, very fast. And in that process, sometimes we find that things that were necessities at one point in time are now totally obsolete. We've been in a process uh, this week of cleaning out our garage and need to do that. Instead of as the kids got older and moved away, it seems like we accumulated more of their stuff and other stuff in there. And it's just been a job that we've been about trying to clean that out. And in that process, we've discovered some things. Don't know why in the world we have kept them because they're totally obsolete. You know, like um, sheets of carbon paper. Some of you in here don't have a clue what I'm talking about, do you? You know, the CC on, on, your, on your computer when you send a message, carbon copy, it comes from the fact that there used to be, have you ever seen those? A carbon, carbon paper. You put it between, you want to make a copy of something, you put it between two sheets of paper, and you make a type on it, write on it, whatever, then you had a copy. Any of you made a telephone call from a dial tone, a rotary phone? Most people, younger generations today haven't. How about storing information on a floppy disk? Any of you have done that? Remember those things? that they, All of that's obsolete. Most everybody, when we listen to music today, it's on CD. What was the forerunner to the CD? Cassette tapes. And before that, 8-track. Yeah, somebody went way back to 8-track. But we found a whole box of cassette tapes. You know, all they were good for, just throw them out. Nobody uses those kind of things anymore. So we found more and more things like that. The rotary phone. You remember though, one of the aggravating things about a rotary phone and was the cord? And every now and then you had to unplug it and then hold the phone so that it could untwirl itself and untangle itself. Boy, all those things, uh, cell phones never, ha- never need that, do they? How about a VHS tape for a VCR? Um, encyclopedia sets. See, I mean, how many of you still have a set of encyclopedias at home? Not very many. You're pretty old if you do. You know? All you got to do now is just take out your smartphone and ask it anything you want, and it'll tell you. And I know on my smartphone there's this woman, what's her name, Siri, that she's got the answer to everything. I tell you, I have never asked that woman anything. I have never asked her a question. I've got enough women in my life telling me what to do that I have, I have never asked Sarah any question, and I don't intend on doing that. Well, look how things have changed over, the, over just over the last few years. I mean, every time a, f- a new phone comes out, it's got some new aspect to it. And the things that we thought were so significant that with the purpose that they served in our life, they're passe. They're antiques. They're gone. They're out of the way. Now, we apply that to our life, and we ask, as time passes, what is my purpose in life? What is my meaning in life? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Well, we look at the life of Jesus today when we hear him say that he is the anointed one, anointed by God to be the Messiah. And we find that he knew what it was to live at peace and have a mission statement and a purpose and a mission for his life. And I think one of the great ways that he stated that is found when he went home 
very early in his in his ministerial career, and he preached in his hometown synagogue. There's a there's a, a great thing about doing that. If you have a, if, if you're a pastor, you would know this to go back to your home church and see you know and, and preach. And hopefully over the years you improve and, and everybody gets to ooh and ah and say, I knew you were going to mount to something, you know, and, you know, I, I remember you as a kid. There's a, and then there's a negative part about it, you know, there's some people saying, you know, I, do you remember when you did so-and-so? You know, every time I go back home there's always that thought, who's going to say something about what they remember about me? Well, Jesus went back to his home synagogue, and we got a clip from the movie The Son of God about what happened when he was called upon to preach. Well, once again, when we look at the, the clip from the movie and then we read the Scripture, we'll see it still deviates a little bit. But follow along with me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, to find an account of that incident in the temple. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread uh, through the whole countryside. He taught in the synagogues, and everyone praised Him. He went to Nazareth, where He had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day He went into the synagogue, as was His custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now this is an interesting thing. They didn't rebel against him right there, when the movie did, but this is what it says. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? You know, everybody was saying, I, I knew he would amount to something. What a great young man he was. He stayed home and helped Mary raise the, the, the other children in the family after Joseph's death. And now he's ready to launch out on his reason. God has called him to be a preacher. It's just absolutely marvelous. And then notice what happens. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. That's an interesting passage of Scripture as we enter into it. Jesus has begun His ministry. He he recognized Himself and stepped out as the Messiah and was baptized. And then immediately was driven into the wilderness for the time of testing and temptation. And then He came out and began that public ministry. And He was in the northern area there around Galilee and Capernaum. And He had a ministry of teaching and healing and, and preaching. And then He comes home to Nazareth to His home synagogue. And the Scripture says He went there on that appointed day as was His custom. You see, that talks to us then about the fact that he was still committed to the worship of his people. And everybody thought he was great when he first started speaking. Even when he said about Isaiah's prophecy of the anointed one, the Messiah coming, and he said, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. It wasn't until Jesus pointed out to them two obvious things. When the use of, uh, in, in Elijah's time and in Elisha's time, that God used, not a Jew, but somebody outside of that race to use in one of his miracles. That really stirred them up. And that's when they turned against him, wanting to stone him, take him out on the side of the hill and throw him over the cliff. And Jesus was able just to walk through them. Now we look at that setting, we look at that passage of Scripture and say, why would Jesus use that reading from Isaiah? Most every scholar will say it was not what was scheduled to be read, but that was what was given to him, and so he read it. Part of the way God worked in that. He used it to announce who he was as the anointed one. The scripture had prophesied that. He said now it's been fulfilled. He is the anointed one. It was his way of saying this is why I'm here. This is my purpose. And it became controversial to be sure. But at the same time it revealed that he is the anointed one from God. We asked the question who is this man? Well he's not only the son of man. He's not only the friend of sinners. But he is also the anointed one. The one that God sent to be the Messiah 
the one who would die on the sins for our cross, on the cross for our sins. It's Jesus Christ who came ushering in the kingdom of God. And I think what we have here is that Jesus pulled from Isaiah uh, his mission statement and his purpose for life. And we look at our lives today, if you've already discovered who Jesus is and you've made a commitment of your life to him, then here's where you find your mission and your purpose in life. And if you live the way that Jesus calls us to live and following after that, then you never get this, you never find a sameness or a routine about your life. There's always something exciting about it because you don't know what God's up to and what God's going to be doing tomorrow. And I think you wake up with a sense of something and you're saying, what's going to happen today, God? What are you going to teach me today? What are you going to reveal to me today? It's, a, it's an interesting thing that, that Jesus talked about as being the anointed one, his mission, and then relating that to us as our mission. And for us to understand it for about Jesus and his mission, and for then for us to claim that as our own mission, then I think there are three significant things that we have to understand out of this, out of this story. The first is we have to accept the mission of the anointed one. And what was the mission of this anointed one? Jesus said in verse 18, he came to proclaim the good news to the poor. That word poor doesn't necessarily mean short on funds, but it simply means those who are unable to care for themselves. Those who are weak, those who are needy. And as another reminder to us that Jesus, as a great physician, said, he didn't come for those who were healthy, but he came for those who were sick as a great physician. Now then, he talks about four specific areas that his ministry would encompass. And they're all so significant in two different ways. First of all, he talked about freedom for those in bondage. And during this time in history, we knew that there were some who were actually slaves. But Jesus is also speaking about another group of people in bondage. In 2 Timothy 2.26, he says that Satan has captured many people to do his will. We know that's true today, that many people are held captive by Satan. They're in bondage to sin. And Jesus came to set people free from the bondage of sin. And he said in John 8.32, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How does that relate to you today? Well, maybe you're here to hear the good news and, and you're in some kind of bondage. You know, there's some kind of addiction in your life, some kind of sin in your life you just can't get rid of. You, you repeat that sin over and over and over and you're held in the bondage of that sin. Friend, Jesus is here to liberate you from that bondage and to set you free. Secondly, Jesus said he's here to offer sight for the blind. We know that Jesus performed many miracles where he restored the sight of people. But at the same time, he didn't restore the sight of everyone in Israel who was blind. But Jesus is also talking about another kind of deliverance and sight that he, he came to bring. And that is that he came to open the eyes of those who had been blinded by Satan. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, until the light of Christ shines on us and our eyes are open to the spiritual truth, our eyes are blinded. Our eyes are blinded. Spiritual blindness is there. And Satan has us blind to the truth. And Christ said he came to set people free from that blindness and to heal them from that blindness. And then he talks about a third ministry, which is release for the oppressed. And we find that word oppressed in verse 18. 
And that simply means to be bruised or broken. And literally it was a Greek word that, that described a vessel or a piece of pottery that was uh, broken and shattered into pieces. And Jesus was talking about the fact that he came to restore lives, broken lives, lives broken by sin and guilt and grief and shame and whatever factor played into their brokenness. And he said he came to heal the brokenhearted. In fact, uh, Psalm 147.3 talks about the Messiah and says, He will heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. You see, some of you sitting here today are brokenhearted. You've got a broken heart over some issue. Maybe your marriage is is teetering. Maybe a friendship has has broken up and been dissolved. Um, Maybe maybe you're brokenhearted over family relationships, what, what your children are involved in, what they're doing. Maybe you're you're brokenhearted because you know that you have disappointed God. You're not living up to what He he wants you to do. See, there are many ways you can have a broken heart. But God is here through Christ today as the anointed one. And He wants to bring that healing. He wants to put your broken heart and your broken life back together. And He can fix it the way that only He can fix it. And then he wants to, uh, he came to proclaim God's grace for us all. In verse 19, Jesus said he came to announce the year of God's favor. Well, he wasn't talking about one year. And, and the Jewish people who were there and heard him uh, knew what he was talking about. First of all, they knew that, that he was talking about and referring to a day of Sabbath every week. Every day, every day, you know, I mean, every week you need to have at least one day of Sabbath in your life. You know, you got to have something in your life with Sabbath where you can Pause from the normal routine of life and reconnect with God. I like to have a little bit of Sabbath in, in my life every day. Every day I have a little bit of Sabbath in some kind of way. And you need to find out the ways in which you can do that. But when he talks about God's grace for all, he also knew that not only was it one day a week for a little bit of Sabbath, but that uh, also that uh, every seventh year there would be a Sabbath year. And this was, I think, to be a time of a test of faith, that people wouldn't plant. They wouldn't plant crops. They were supposed to rely and depend upon God. And, uh, and they took a Sabbath year off in terms of working and, and, and seeking to have more and to build more and that. But then after, after a period of time, after every seventh Sabbath year, that means seven times seven, 49, the 50th week coming up was, year was known as a Jubilee year. And amazing things took place during that time. All, and that year all slaves would set free. All those whose poverty had forced them to sell their lands would receive them back again. Those who had lost family and friends uh, to slavery or imprisonment, they were released and they were reunited. And that's why they called it Jubilee. And they would look forward to that. And Jesus was really saying, the kingdom that I have come to bring and the kingdom that I am proclaiming is to set people free, to open blind eyes, to heal broken hearts, and and to allow people to experience life on a whole different level that he would call a jubilee life. He came to free slaves, open eyes, untie people's hands from the bondage in which he would find them. That was his mission. That was his purpose. And he didn't shy away from it. He knew from the moment that they became riled up at him at the synagogue in his hometown that the journey had begun from which he could never turn back. And the same is true for us. When we discover who Jesus is, then we find our mission and our purpose in him as well. And our mission and purpose, he tells us in so many different places and ways, is that that we're not just to go to church maybe an hour or two a week, but we're to be the church. We're to be the people of God, 
proclaiming freedom, proclaiming grace, proclaiming forgiveness, forgiving people as they need forgiveness, bringing about the healing that Jesus wants people to experience. And you need to claim that for yourself. Maybe, maybe as you're here today worshiping, you've never, you've never claimed that from God. You've never accepted His grace. You've never experienced His forgiveness. You need to experience that today. If you are a believer and you've discovered who Jesus is and, and you're trying to follow after Him, you need to understand that this is what He calls you to do. He calls you to, as the anointed one that you're to proclaim the good news and bring about healing and bring about wholeness and, and bring about forgiveness. Then the second thing I think that, that is pointed out to us here in the story is this, that if we're going to follow after the anointed one and fulfill the mission that he's given to us, then we have to adopt the method of this anointed one. You know, uh, there were many, many passages of Scripture that Jesus could have read. Well, what handed to him was a scroll of Isaiah, and he read from 61. And, and, and I think the reason he did so is because that particular bit of prophecy foretold the coming of the anointed one and his ministry. And that was specifically that he cared about people. And he came to minister to people and to deal with the real needs of real people every day. His mission statement made it perfectly clear that his priority always was people and their needs. He talked about then sharing the good news for them, proclaiming freedom to them. He talked about compassionately meeting people's needs. That's the Son of God who is the anointed one. And Isaiah 42, 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You see, Jesus was compassionate, and he knew that in the needs of people. At the same time, he also knew that his Father, God, had ordained that the Jewish nation was called to be a special people under God, and that they were to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, and they were to proclaim that freedom in Christ and share His grace. But they weren't doing it. And the reason for it is, is, is that they didn't like, they didn't like the Gentiles. They didn't, they didn't like the, the Romans. They didn't like the Samaritans. And the diehard Pharisees, they really didn't like women and children. But Jesus came to give a whole new meaning about ministry to the wholeness of people. His kingdom introduced that concept of love in a new and, and loving way and grace for everyone. And that should be the method of our ministry as well. If we accept Christ as our, our Savior and as our anointed one. And, so, and even when we get into that area of defending the faith, it doesn't mean that we have to argue about it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, have to demonstrate your faith through a political movement or to, through a political party. But it simply means that you know what you believe, and you know that your ministry is to focus on the needs of people, and you know what Jesus said about that ministry and what it was supposed to be doing, and you focus on that with people. You share the good news with them. You help them be healed. You, you, you help them to be set free. And that's the method that Christ used out of love in this age of grace in which we live today. We have to adopt that method. And then finally and thirdly, if we're going to be followers of this anointed one, this Messiah, then I think it means that we have to apply the measurement of the anointed one. How do you, how do you measure how effective you are for the kingdom of God? You know, I guess in school, and I hate to remind you about that on your summer break, but 
You know, in school you take tests as a measurement of what you've learned, supposedly. It's a good indicator of that, supposedly. Uh, at work you have uh, evaluations as to whether you're uh, meeting the goals that you set and the company wants you to have. You know, uh, you can always get feedback from a friend or a family member about how you're doing in life, how good a friend you are. You always get feedback from your kids about how good a parent you are. You can always get feedback from your spouse about how good am I at being a spouse? Well, how good are you at being a follower of Christ? You've got to apply the measurement that Jesus applied. There's an interesting incident that happened later in Luke chapter 7 uh, that John, it involved John the Baptist. And the Scripture says in Luke 7, 18 through 22, that John the Baptist called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, and this interesting, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Well, a little bit of doubt in John the Baptist's mind. So John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? And how did Jesus answer that? Well, he talked about the measure of, of the anointed one, the measurement. And how would he measure that? He would go back to his mission statement. So he had a point of reference to go to, to his mission statement. So Jesus told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the leopards are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, the good news is preached to the poor. You see, by having a mission statement and knowing his purpose in life, Jesus had a point of reference to where he could go when the time came for his measurement. In other words, he was saying to those two disciples of John, go back and tell him what you see. Match it with what I said in the temple when I read from Isaiah 61. And exactly what I've done is what I said I would do. That was what I was called to do. There's a simple way to answer that. How do we know whether we're being good disciples of Christ and following after Him and fulfilling the mission He's called us to? We go back to that same passage of Scripture. And it's a great measurement for us. How, how well are we proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God? How well are we offering grace? How well are we helping, helping people find peace in their life and wholeness in their life? How well are we ha- helping people have spiritual eyes open so that they can see the truth of Jesus Christ? How well are we helping people held in bondage to sin and guilt and shame come to know freedom in Jesus Christ? You see, that's how we measure our mission and how we're fulfilling it. And I think that's a great argument right there for, for you to have. And I don't mean a verbal argument, but a defense. And when somebody says, well, how, how can we know that, that Jesus is, really is the Son of God and is the Messiah and our Savior? I oftentimes think about this story when, whenever I have a conversation with a Jewish friend and they keep thinking they can still waiting for, for the Messiah to come. And my question is, well, what else would the Messiah do that Jesus did or didn't do that you would believe that he was the Messiah? You know, what, what, else, what else do you think the Messiah has to do? And most of the time they don't have an answer. It's just that that's what they've been taught. But it's not just Jewish people today. It's a lot of people that say, well, Jesus was a good man. He was a prophet. He was a great teacher. He was compassionate. But how do I know that he's the Messiah? How do I know that he's the Savior? Well, you simply go back and you do a little proof text. You look at Isaiah 61 as to what Jesus said he was called to do as the anointed one of God. And then you look at this passage of Scripture and Jesus says, look what I did. This is how I did it. 
This is what the expectations of me were, and this is what I have done to fulfill it. And bingo, the light ought to go on. Your eyes ought to be open. The shackles of slavery ought to fall from you. And you know that this is the anointed one. This is the fulfillment of all of God's prophecy. That Jesus Christ is the one who came to preach the good news. To set people free. To bind up broken hearts. And to give people a reason to celebrate. Like the year of Jubilee. How well are you doing with that? How well are we doing with that as a church? How well are we impacting the community, which is our our mission field, with that gospel of Jesus Christ? So as we talk about today that Jesus is the anointed one, there are two ways that you need to go in terms of decision. If you're a believer in Christ, then you need to be following Him and fulfilling that mission that He's left for you. If you're not a believer in Christ, then you need to pray a prayer where you ask Christ to come into your life, something like this. You might want to follow along with me after this and pray it in your heart. And I ask everyone to join me to bow your heads in prayer. If you need Christ to come into your life as the anointed one, then you might want to say, Lord Jesus, I want the freedom that only you can give. I need the mercy and grace that only you can give. I confess my sin to you. I turn away from all my sin. I accept your sacrifice on the cross as payment for my sin. I ask you to come into my life. Be the leader of my life. Help me to follow you and spread the influence of your kingdom from this moment on. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, then I invite you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, we've not followed you as we should. Forgive us and help us from this day forward by your grace to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the sinners, set the prisoners free, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, and to tell everyone that your kingdom is here. Lord Jesus, we ask the question, who is this man talking about you? And we know that you are the anointed one of God. You are the son of man. You are the friend of sinners. You're the one sent from God to bring good news of freedom and to bring a sense of purpose and meaning into our world and into our life. And Father, we thank you for revealing that to us today. And I ask that we have the courage and the faith and the wisdom to follow after you and to fulfill that mission with that ultimate sense of joy and jubilee. And I pray that in the name of Christ, the Anointed One, our Redeemer. Amen.